My name is Jen, and um, I'm going to start with prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for all of these women here, Lord, and their hearts to want to love others well. Lord, I pray that you would um, be with us in our time, Lord, that you would um, open our hearts to engage with one another um, and to engage with your word, Lord. We pray that um, you just would be glorified as we go out of this place and seek to fold people into friends and family, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey. So good morning again. I'm Jen Schuler, um, and I'm excited to be here with you today. So again, thank you so much for being here. Um, as we get started, I'm just going to give you a brief background of who I am, um, and then we'll launch right into content. I came to know the Lord over a season of time that began in my secular sorority house, Delta Gamma, at UC Berkeley, through the faithfulness of a few followers of Christ who strategically lived with 70 of us who did not know the Lord. And it, my faith came together as a summer staffer at Hume Lake the summer after I graduated from college. The middle part of the story has everything to do with my dad. I woke up to a 6 a.m. call on March 1st, 1999 from one of my dad's best friends, informing me that he had been in a skiing accident the day before that left him a C5 quadriplegic. As his only child, he didn't want me to know until he came out of surgery in case he didn't make it um, so that I wouldn't worry. So that tells you a little about my dad. Um, needless to say, life flipped upside down in that moment. As a side note, I've always been incredibly close to my dad. Um, I'm an only child and of divorced parents, so half the time I was with him, it was just me and dad. Um, I thought I was a believer at that point, but my lack of lifestyle change indicated otherwise. I knew about God, but did not have evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and became stuck and sad um, in what felt like a hopeless situation after his accident. I knew that I desperately needed the Lord and made the decision to follow my best friend at the time, Julie, to Hume Lake for the summer. By God's grace, I was somehow hired. <laughs> it was very late in the process. Um, I think it was like late April, and that was unheard of back then. Um, and I didn't have a sincere faith, although I probably faked it decently well. And during the course of the summer of 1999, I came to actually know the Lord. I don't know exactly when, though I have memories of a few points in time that were pivotal, uh, but I do know that I left the summer changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I met my husband, Joel, that same summer. Three years later, after six summers for Joel and three for me, we moved to Hume five days after our honeymoon for a year or two on full-time staff. We just passed the 20-year mark of being here, proving that we just don't know the plans the Lord has for us. Uh, and as a shout out to my daughter, we have since had three lovely children, including my oldest over here who is serving on the host team this weekend. Um, this fall is her first time getting to do that, so it's pretty exciting to watch them grow up at Hume and then be folded into to ministry here. Um, I mentioned last night that I have a passion for community. Community was modeled well for me growing up, particularly through my dad and his family, who were all really good at turning strangers into friends and friends into family. In moving to Hume, I began to experience the community of the church for the first time in daily life, what it looks like for a small town of sorts to be the church to one another and to be folded into a larger family. It has been imperfect, but so good. Some seasons have been harder than others, and there have been dark days, but the Lord is faithful. Somewhere along the way, he made it clear that cultivating community should be one of the things to which I give my time and energy and has given me, given me both a strong desire to continue year over year, as well as a burden for the ways that we're missing the mark, 
often highlighted by people who leave feeling like they were not folded into the Hume family. So it's a continual process here too. Unsurprisingly, the Barna Group has conducted research on loneliness. Susan Metz, a behavioral scientist and researcher writing for Barna, defines loneliness as the distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy. She goes on to say, it's lack, it's disappointment, it's something we are conscious of even if we don't call it loneliness. As a study conducted in, in a study conducted in 2020, and this is pre-pandemic, uh, Barna found that three in 10 Americans say they feel lonely at least once each day. And among practicing Christians, it's still 20% that feel lonely each day, um, with 10% of practicing Christians feeling lonely all the time. Among US adults, the younger you are, the more likely you are to experience loneliness. So those who say they're lonely once a week, of the boomer generation, it's 36%, Gen X, 57%, and millennials, 68%. Lonely for some of each week, boomers, 19%, Gen X, 33%, and millennials, 46%. Lonely all the time, and that constant loneliness, boomers is just 4%, Gen X, 15%, and millennials are 22% feel lonely all the time. Um, Singles are more likely to feel lonely by a wide margin, wider post-pandemic. There's a strong correlation between those who say that they lack privacy and increased loneliness, which would suggest that the mere presence of people doesn't solve the loneliness problem. Um, this research just confirms what I think all of us know and many of us have probably experienced in this room or are experiencing right now. People feel disconnected in ways that grieve their hearts. Let's go back to that definition of loneliness from the beginning. The distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy. It would seem that what is missing is a depth of relationship. I have a friend who says that the deepest longing of the human heart is to be fully known and fully loved. This obviously happens through God alone in perfect form. However, even in our finite capacity as humans, as we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, how do we cultivate a place of belonging for the people around us and establish the kinds of connections where people can feel known and loved? How do we fold acquaintances into friends and friends into family? Benjamin Wendell, a self-described millennial writing about his generation in a blog for Barna says, the kind of community we are searching for is harder, more costly, and more time intensive than we realize and there are no shortcuts. It is also so much more beautiful, enriching, and fulfilling than we could imagine. If we truly want our local church to be a life-giving spiritual community, we must entangle ourselves with the people around us. I just love that last line, entangle ourselves with the people around us. So how do we do that? I spent the last four years going through our four, um, the four gospels concurrently with my Bible study. Um, followed by Acts. I thought it would take us about two years to do so, and COVID happened. Um, so when we finally finished, we felt like we really knew the disciples almost on a casual, personal level, if that kind of makes sense. We started Acts last January, and I just couldn't stop smiling. It was so exciting. We watched these guys transform through the power of the Holy Spirit from those who were often confused, concerned with the wrong things, fearful to the point of deserting Jesus in his hour of need, sometimes impetuous, Peter, and generally just trying to figure things out to those who were doing it. They were speaking boldly. They were loving well. They were unified in mind and mission. They were courageous to the point of death for the name of Jesus. And the church was exploding. 
I still feel like a proud friend when I talk about Acts. Listen to the description of the earliest community of believers from Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that beautiful? I read this and think, how do we cultivate a community that looks like that? They're in the temple together and in their homes together for meals shared daily. They're meeting, with each, uh, they're meeting each other's needs. They're folding in new people. Did you catch that at the end? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They're praising the Lord. They have glad and generous hearts. They are devoted to the spiritual disciplines as they live out their faith, teaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Jesus himself identified the greatest commandment in the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Doesn't Acts 2 sound like the early church was living out these commandments? How did Jesus love his neighbors as he walked on earth in human form? Jesus entered in, and then the apostles entered in. He did daily life with a group of people. He celebrated with them. He wept and mourned with them. He called out their sin and invited them into a better way, the living of life the way God intended. He met practical and emotional needs. He made time for people. He put others first and sacrificed his own wants and perceived needs. He loved well, perfectly actually, in a hands-on, life-on-life way. And then the apostles started doing the same, building the early church family in much the same way, albeit less perfectly than our Savior. The New Testament is filled with commands on how to love others as ourselves and the, the fruit of God working in us as we love people. I'm going to read a few just to put those in our mind. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5.1-2 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make the best use of your time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What is hospitality? A couple quick definitions. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. Two, the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. And what does it mean to be hospitable? given to generous and cordial reception of guests, promising or suggesting generous and friendly welcome, offering a pleasant or sustaining environment, and last, readily receptive. These verses and others paint a picture of the character traits that God supplies for us to engage with others well, whether believers or not, meaning engaging believers or not, and the beautiful result of a community marked by a shared pursuit of Jesus. Just reading these words and imagining them lived out is really refreshing to my soul, and hopefully yours as well. However, unless you are experiencing this right now, it can feel daunting to bridge the gap between current reality with any individuals or groups of people in your life and these pictures of Christ-centered spiritual family doing life well together. My hope with the remaining time is to dive into the practical side of cultivating community um, by sharing ideas with each other, answering questions, and addressing concerns in the hopes of giving us a starting point, or for many of you, simply new ideas and fresh energy in the midst of an endeavor already begun. The next segment of time will require, as I said last night, a little bit of bravery. I'm going to ask you to just turn to people around you in groups of about three-ish um, and see people, maybe engage with people you've never met before. Um, and hopefully, hopefully you'll um, be able to find new ideas with each other. So the first segment, turning strangers into acquaintances and acquaintances into friends. Um, how do we begin to engage people in a meaningful way? Fellow believers, non-believers, how do we draw people in and establish relationship? So the first question that we're going to dialogue on, um, just for probably three or four minutes, is... I'll repeat this after, I'll say it once and then repeat it for you. Again, three-ish people around you. What makes you feel connected to others in emotionally meaningful ways? And when, when have you experienced emotional connection and what were the key factors in establishing that? So kind of one of those two questions. Again, what makes you feel connected to others in emotionally meaningful ways? Or when have you experienced connection and what were the key factors in establishing that? Okay, so three or four minutes, turn to some neighbors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
It's okay. Okay, friends, we're going to come back to center for a minute. <laughs> this, um, from my vantage point here, it's so fun to listen to the noise level in the room rise instantly and to have, watch people group up, turn around, move seats, to just form um, small groups with each other. I love that. Did anybody connect with people they've never met before? Oh, lots of hands. I love that too. Yay. Um, just a few people. What were some of the, if anyone wants to share, what are some of the key um, factors for you in experiencing emotional connection and establishing that? Or when have you felt emotionally connected to others in a meaningful way? Yes, commonality and life experience. Oh, breaking bread together. Love that.
Yes. Right where you live, making community. I love that. Oh, when someone uses your name and remembers it over here too. That's very huge. Yeah. Yeah. This up here was um, being present in the conversation, making eye contact, and not being on your phone in the midst of the conversation. Yeah, practical suggestions. Do we start to get the feeling that when you think about that, that it's not that daunting, right? Just like little acts of kindness and intentionality can start the path on relationship with people. Um, Okay, for this next segment, this might be a little more challenging, so I'm gonna give a little bit more of a setup this time. Um, How do we do open invitation gatherings to people? So what I mean by that, an open invitation, is gatherings, whether large or small, in which anyone can be invited, rather than extending invitations only to a select group of individuals within a larger group. Does that make sense? So by nature, not all gatherings can be open. Like your accountability groups cannot be an open gathering. You need a select number of people who are consistent, right? Um, But some can. So can we look for those opportunities in which everyone can be welcomed in with the intention of allowing connections to naturally form? So give you a couple of examples, um, and then we're going to dialogue about that question together. So for us here, something that's worked really well in the context of our small Hume community, so we're talking about 300 people who live on the hill year-round. We've been doing for, well, we did a season of time and then a break, and then the last probably 10 or 11 summers in a row, in our family, we host a bring-your-own-meat barbecue every Wednesday. It's an open invitation gathering to the entire community. Not everyone comes. Don't get the impression that I have 300 people at my house on a Wednesday. It's not the truth. Um, (laughs) But we just say it's a way we can sustainably do that, that we just say, come for an evening, bring the meat you want to throw on the grill and a side to share. The food always works out because if everyone's bringing something to share, you have a meal. I happen to provide homemade s'mores for dessert. You don't have to do that. You could say, you know, bring your own, or bring dessert to share as well. Um, And we just have a meal together and fire pit time for as long as people want to stay every Wednesday. They don't have to RSVP. They can bring their friends and family that are visiting. Um, And it's worked well just to allow a space for connections to form, not necessarily with me, but with the people in the yard. So that's an example of a large thing. We figured out how to do that on the budget that we have. We can provide paper and plastic products, but everyone is providing the bulk of the food. We've watched it work well here with open houses. You know, if you have a family tradition that you do, um, we have a few different times up here where people have a family tradition of a certain food at a certain time of year, and they just open their home and say, come by any time this morning or any time this afternoon. Come and have Dutch donuts together, and we'll have them until they run out. You know, a family tradition that a friend grew up with or one that we've adopted into our home came from my friend Elisa. Her dad always made um, German spice cookies at Christmas and would have an open invitation gathering in his homes, um, both in Illinois and in Arizona with just whoever's in their life. Come by on this day between this time in the afternoon and we'll have German spice cookies for you and fellowship and some good Christmas cheer. Just something easy. Another one would be, can you meet people at the gym? You know, just have a buddy with you and then feel free to invite others. Like, so-and-so and I always meet at the gym at, you know, 7 o'clock on Mondays. Come if you want to and see who shows up. It can be little, it can be big, it can be inside your home, it could be outside. 
what are some of those ideas that we can keep open to others so that people who maybe don't get the personal invitation might have a chance to fold in? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so that's the next question for you in your groups of three-ish or how many ever you paired up with the first time. Um, what open invitation opportunities have you worked for you and what are some ideas that could work? Okay, three or four minutes.
Okay, friends, we're going to come back to center again. Okay. Does anybody want to be brave and share an idea or two? Oh, game night. Yeah. That's beautiful. So you met at dinner at Hume Lake last night. And this morning on a walk. I love that. And you just folded people in on your walk. Yes. Wow. Oh, that's so fun. And that came through being open to just say, hey, join us on our walk. I love that. Anybody else want to share an idea or two? Yeah, absolutely. A cookie exchange at Christmas time. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So that was on the Neighborhood app. Yeah. Neighborhood app, um, just in the back, if you didn't hear, it was a woman who recently retired. Yes, about four years ago. About four years ago. Okay, so when she retired four years ago, she was lonely and wanted to meet other women, and she put on the Neighborhood app, does anybody want to have coffee with me? And 250 people responded. And out of that, other groups have formed that consistently meet, which means she probably doesn't have to meet with all of those groups. They connected to each other. That is so sweet. Yeah, there you go. I don't know if anyone is like me. Every time I host anything, I mean, we're 10 years into Bring Your Own Meat Barbecue, and I will tell you that every week I wonder, is anyone going to show up? Um, so I don't know if anyone else feels that way, but what a brave leap of faith. You said it was a leap of faith for her. And 250 responded. I, people are hungry to be invited in. Um, Okay, so as we have um, ideas about how to get people in space with each other, um, how then do you start to form those relationships, right, and connections? Um, how do you get to know someone? So this next part, we're just going to interact together um, rather than in our groups. But um, what, one thing I observed with my dad all along the way is um, he was very good about being all about the interests of other people. He was a curious person. He was curious about who people were, so he would get to know. Um, you might be noticing, I'm talking about my dad in past tense. He um, passed away about six years ago now, so um, it's the end piece of that story that I started at the beginning. Um, anyway, he was kind of a student of all those people around him, and people felt so deeply known and loved by that. Um, he would 
find out what was important, and then follow up. If he found out what their favorite sports team was, he would follow that team so that he could enter in and engage when they would come. That happened a lot, especially with his um, physical therapist that would come five days a week. Uh, we lived a block and a half from a university that had a physical therapy program, so they would come range him every day of the week. Um, so he got to engage for the 17 and a half years after his accident. He got to engage with a group of college students um, for a two-year span at a time with these groups of kids, and so he would um, really get to know them well, and it would start with things like that, talking about things where you form commonality, um, and following up on those, and then transition into asking about their lives and following up on that, and he was a wise person, so people asked him for counsel all the time, uh, but he would remember their details, and when he passed away, and my husband and I were going through his computer, um, on the contact page uh, section of it, I found written underneath my name, names of my friends that he had met and had conversations with. And he was intentionally remembering their names and to ask me about them and to engage when he would come back up. Uh, he was super intentional about it. So with that, um, how do we do that? How do we be about the interests of others? But starting with, for this just little piece of time, asking good questions, right? That's where a lot of that starts. And sometimes it feels uncomfortable, so you might need to have the questions in advance before you meet up for the walk. If this is just kind of awkward and quiet, what questions am I going to ask to get people talking? Um, as they come to my home or we meet for dinner or coffee or wherever it's going to be, whatever kind of setting, what are some questions that might get people to engage and we can start to get to know each other on a heart level? So anybody have good go-to questions that you tend to ask? Mm, I love that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Love that. Yes. I'd like to start with how are you? Mm -hmm. Intentionally listening. I don't think I've ever heard it before. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely. I find too, um, I learned this from my dad, but um, when people say the question, how are you? And they say, I'm okay. It's always, oh, just okay. Tell me about that. You know, or, or I'll just say, just okay. And usually people will then open up a little bit more too. I think it depends on the setting because I call them the joys to start a conversation sometimes. Um, and like I met Allison, I made a joke after a workout at the gym. Like somebody we ended up for, we didn't know each other, we ended up talking for like an hour. And now, wow. and, and now she's just a queer. Like we were in third grade high school. That's like, great. Like literally yeah. joking about something hurting on my body. Yeah. But then we literally like had a Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you just to 
beautiful so yeah yeah that's wonderful absolutely being vulnerable yeah. in your honesty absolutely yes Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So being open to what the Lord might have, like what people He might bring into your lives, and just because being willing to engage. It's not always convenient. That's very true. Claire, you had your hand up. That's great, and great point, too, a reminder that people do have freedom to respond as much or as little as they want, so we don't need to shy away from that. I can probably do about one more. Um, what do you do for fun? Is always a good oh, one. yeah. That is wonderful, that, yeah. What do you do for fun? Okay. Um, this next, we're rapidly running out of time, so we're going to do one more um, question together, just for about two or three minutes together. But as you start to have these friends, and as you start to form great connections with people, how do you, how do you then fold them into your family? Um, how does this begin to happen? And if we look at Jesus' example, it's life on life, dailiness with people, right? Um, when possible. Not all of your deepest connections are going to be daily. Some of my deepest heart friends that live in multiple states. Um, but how do you, often it starts with choosing people and then showing up again and again in good times and hard times, through conflict, through sin struggles, in tragedy and for everyday needs. Just you choose the people and you're going to keep showing up. Um, be willing to share. We talked about that, right? Vulnerability invites vulnerability in people. 
Um, so what has worked for you to, um, wait, actually, you can either answer what has worked for you to facilitate that heart level connection with people and maybe even in a group setting, or um, the other piece of that is what does family look like for you in the body of Christ? So what does family mean to you and what components are necessary? Okay, two or three minutes together. Okay, friends. Good night. We're going to share it together one more time. I really do love hearing all of you engage with each other. It's such a beautiful sound. Um, so just some qu quick couple people. Are there anything you would like to share about what are the... Um, what does family actually look like within the body of Christ, or what, um, what does that mean to you, or what has worked well for you to facilitate the kinds of heart connections that lead to feeling like people are more of that family sense? Yep. 
Hmm? Yeah. So, so being attentive to the needs around you and then filling those needs because people aren't going to ask, but just jumping in and offering your help. Yeah. It's more that I'm coming over and I'm going to do your laundry today. Yeah. Yeah. Any? Laureen. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely, hearing your voice. So the phone call instead of the text. Um, texting is our go-to right now, but sometimes people just need to hear your voice on the other end of the line that you picked up the phone. It is more personal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Much more personal. You can hear what's going on, or if you're face to face, you can see what's going on. You can read those different clues. Oh yeah, you can. Yeah, you can definitely fake it through a text. Okay. Uh, my last segment, we're going to um, do a little differently because I want to get you all out in time to use the restroom if you need to and make sure you make it to the session on time. So if, you have, if you're feeling like, I just really have these questions or these hindrances, um, I'm going to stick around up here for a little bit. So if you have anything you want to dialogue about, feel free, um, or even throughout today and tomorrow. Um, if you have hindrances to hospitality or engaging with others and you just want someone to bounce ideas off of or... Um, whatever that might look like, I'd be happy to engage with all of you. I am so appreciative that you are here and willing to engage with each other and then with all of us in a broad setting, so thank you so much. As we wrap up, um, I'm just going to pray as you all go out and hopefully either continue to enter in with people or start if this is your first step in being brave and maybe you're lonely and God is calling you to also be the change for others. So whatever your lane might be, as we go out of here and hopefully engage people well, I'm just going to end by praying Ephesians 3, 16 through 21 over you. So, Lord God, I thank you so much for these women again and just the space to be together today. I pray, Lord, um, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant to each of these to be strengthened with power through your spirit, in their inner being, so that you, Christ, may dwell in their hearts through faith, that they, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of you, Christ, that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all of your fullness, God. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you again.